Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about perimenopause and performance. We'll be looking at the challenges female runners tell us they're experiencing and how it impacts on their running. We'll be talking about what's driving all these changes in a woman's body and is there a recommended approach to managing perimenopause and running performance. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here as always with Aileen. Hi Aileen, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. I've just had my lunch so I'm well fueled, ready for an afternoon of chat. Excellent. Yes, I've just had my lunch as well so I'm I'm feeling uh, satiated as they say. Um, okay, so today we're going to be talking all about the perimenopause and Aileen, you and I have both passed through this life stage. So I was just wondering, Aileen, what was your experience? Yeah, well, I remember feeling it all, feeling a bit strange. Uh, Nothing was regular. There was a lot of unpredictability, uh, particularly around my periods. Um, And I think, you know, when you're a woman, you don't like periods, but you know they come every month. So that feels normal. And when they don't, it feels strange. Um, And I think the other thing that was a really big issue for me was hot flushes. And that always seemed to be happening at the most inconvenient moment. Um, So, yeah, all of it just sort of threw me off balance, really. Um, And I I remember I was going through this phase uh, when I was a nutrition student and and a relatively new runner. Um, And everyone knows, you know, at that time of my life, I wasn't I hadn't been particularly focused on health prior to that. So I guess physically I maybe wasn't in the best place to transition the perimenopause. but I do think that all the healthy practices that I put into place during my sort of mid to late 40s really helped me. Um, and, I, you know, looking back, when I compare what I experienced to some of my less health conscious friends, I think, you know, I probably supported myself in the best possible mm. way. Yeah, yeah. And how was it for you, Karen? Yeah, well, actually, Aileen, I was relatively young when I entered menopause. I was only um, 46. And I know that's still seen as within age group, but the very end of, of age group, as in the youngest end of age group. And I think maybe it, it's it's familial because my mum my went into menopause at 44. So that could be part of the reason why I went into menopause early. But my my perimenopause experience I think was quite different from yours Aileen I do recall um, during that um, perimenopause phase which for me lasted about a year I think and during that time my my periods were really unpredictable in such a way that I was unsure when I was next going to bleed and then when I did it was extremely heavy to really to the extent that 
it could be quite debilitating at times and and that's not something I was used to you know my my periods were normal I didn't experience any real symptoms maybe a little bit of loose stools would have been the 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 only thing I experienced each month so for this to come along although it wasn't severe on the scale of things it was such a huge huge shift for me and it could be it's so debilitating that um i was i was unable to to run um so it, because i just wasn't sure what was going to happen and i had to plan my outdoor time to ensure i was going to be able to find somewhere that i could that i could go and and change and i certainly wouldn't have worn white jeans or white dresses at that time but but that all passed sort of several years ago now and uh, apart from the odd uh, uh, the occasional hot flush or night sweat I have to say I'm fairly symptom free so um, yeah and I think all the things you've shared and all the things I've shared are fairly typical aren't they Karen I think most women in this phase will be identifying with some of the things that we've said so I think it's not unusual yeah, absolutely. And and it, 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 as we always say, it's going to be different for, for everybody. Some some people's experience are going to be more difficult than others as well. So, um, OK, but let's move on um, and sort of introduce and outline the topic to, to, today. So, like I've said, we are talking about the, the perimenopause and really thinking about its potential impact on running performance and it is a topic which many of our listeners have asked us to review really so um so we just thought that we would talk about the perimenopausal challenges female runners tell us they're experiencing and how it impacts on their running and then we'll we'll look at what is driving all of these changes in a woman's body and is there a recommended approach to managing perimenopause and running performance together then we'll look at a particular situation uh, one of our listeners Sally uh, contacted us and asked about the impact of poor sleep and hot flushes on running performance so so we will include this um, in the last aspect of the of our topic today. So Aileen, let's get cracking. And could we start maybe by um, you telling us a bit about the perimenopause? Can you tell us really about this life stage, really? Yeah, well, um, the perimenopause just means around menopause and it refers to a time during which your body makes that natural transition to menopause. And it's sort of really marking the end of the reproductive years. Um, And and as you said earlier, women start perimenopause at different ages. So mostly it's from mid to late 40s, but sometimes it's earlier. And um, during that time, um, estrogen levels rise and fall unevenly um, during the perimenopause. And that causes a lot of symptoms and probably that erratic thing that I was talking about earlier, like you didn't know what was going to happen because things weren't um, in an even flow. Mm-hmm. So so for women under 45, um, or maybe maybe it's not under 45, but women in perimenopause in that mid, mid range of, um, of their, their life cycle, if you went to a doctor and said, um, am I in perimenopause, they would make a diagnosis based on your symptoms. So probably they would um, be thinking about vasomotor symptoms, so those hot flushes that we talked about, and irregular periods. Um, So if you're sort of, I suppose, 45 and over, that would be typically what a doctor would expect you to be experiencing. And they would say, yeah, you're moving into perimenopause. However, if you're younger and you start experiencing those symptoms, your doctor might um, offer to check hormone levels and um, you know I remember years ago you know when I was in that situation people used to talk about getting a blood test to see if you were in the perimenopause and I remember asking my doctor about it and she just said well you know we know that that's what you are so we're not going to test it so I think that's you know to be expected really. Mm-hmm. Um, so the signs that might indicate the perimenopausal uh, you're going to notice changes. So your menstrual cycle is probably going to become irregular. So it may lengthen or shorten. You might get the heavier flow that you mentioned. You might find that you skip a period. And then you're going to start 
um, experiencing the symptoms that we all have heard about or experienced ourselves. So the hot flushes or the flashes, um, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on, we UK call them flushes, our American uh, girls call them flashes. Um, you might be tired, you might be suffering from fatigue, irritability, um, mind mood symptoms. So, you know, you're up and down, you've got mood swings. Um, you might notice some weight gain. Sleep could be an issue. Um, libido might be lower than, than usual. You might be suffering aches and pains. So there's, there's a whole host of different symptoms. And, uh, but those are, I would say, are the, the most common ones. Um, perimenopause can last for a few years. I mean, you said 12 months, which is, I think, relatively short, you know, from what I've heard people talking about. I, I think probably, you know, a couple of years might be a more realistic time frame, but it is it is different for every woman. Um, and once you've gone through uh, 12 consecutive months without a, a menstrual period, that's when you officially reach menopause and the perimenopause period is over. Now, sometimes for some women, um, you know, they can go six months without a period and then one will appear and they'll think, oh, no, you know, it's back again. Um, and you then have to, like, start the 12-month countdown clock again to know that you're you're finally through the perimenopause the perimenopause period um often women continue to experience symptoms into the menopause and basically the menopause is forever um there are some people talk about the post-menopause but i think from a medical perspective you know once you're in the menopause that is just the rest of your life and mm. and we've mentioned this before you know we're all living longer and uh you know so that menopausal period could be 30 35 years yes, or more for some of us so it's quite a long a long period of time um so i mean one of the things that i would i always like to emphasize this is that this is natural this is our natural life stage and also you know, if you're a woman listening to this and maybe you've not reached the perimenopause yet, you might be thinking, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. But you're not necessarily going to experience all these symptoms at once. Mm -hmm. And you, you'll you find from talking to your friends and um, other women around you that, you know, we're all predisposed to certain things. And, you know, you might find that hot flushes are the thing that really causes you concern or there might be the mind mood thing. So, you know, some people obviously are unfortunate to experience all of them. But I would say on the whole, um, there will be certain things that will be maybe an issue for you. Absolutely. And for those listeners who haven't reached perimenopause yet, you've also you're ahead of the game in the fact that you're listening to this, you're learning about different strategies, sort of nutritional and lifestyle strategies to put in place now that hopefully will limit the symptoms that you you may experience. So avoiding some of the symptoms that you spoke about that you experience daily just by having that education and putting things in place. So you're ahead of the game. Yeah. And there's a lot more conversation. You know, if you sort of wind the clock back 10 years ago, um, when, you know, we were sort of beginning to go into that phase, nobody talked about it. There wasn't, no. now there's like, it's in magazines, it's on TV programs, mm. it's on podcasts. So we're all much, much better informed. And I think that puts us in a, a place of empowerment, really, doesn't exactly. it? Yes, a much more positive place. Okay, so that was a really great sort of outline of what or overview of what perimenopause is. So let's just move on now and think about perimenopause linked to the female runner. And I think probably long term female runners who've always been fit, healthy and with a good body composition are quite often surprised and sometimes shocked at the changes that they, they start to experience as they move into um, perimenopause. So I was just thinking, Aileen, can you maybe outline some of the typical challenge that perimenopausal runners tell, tell us about, tell you about? Yeah, well, I think um, there, are, there are a few common themes. Um, I think one of the things, particularly for the, the female runner who, you know, has had a good body composition, all of a sudden they're noticing changes, you know, so they might have a bit more uh, weight gain, maybe their uh, body composition is changing, and that can be quite um, alarming for them. Um, they might be noticing that they've got disturbed sleep. Um, sometimes that's related to having night sweats and hot flushes. 
Um, some of them might even have hot flushes as they're running. Um, I think another common one for runners is just like, oh, I feel like I'm aching all over and I'm getting pains and more injuries than I've had in the past. Um, and then there's the energy and the recovery side of things. So they might be saying, I'm not recovering quickly enough or I just don't feel I've got enough energy to go out and do the distances I used to do. Um, and then also there's the the brain side of things as this, um, you know, potential mood swings, irritability. And, you know, a, a lot of women are used to dealing with that as part of the PMS type symptoms. But often during this perimenopause, it's it sort of can be all month. And that can be something that makes us all feel a bit out of kilter, really. Mm-hmm. And as, as I said earlier, I think one of the aspects of perimenopause is this unpredictability of the symptoms, which can lead to you feeling a bit out of control. And I know that sounds really serious, um, and, and it is, but I, I really believe if you've got an understanding of what's going on and you, you have some personal nutritional and lifestyle management strategies, then it does make you feel more empowered and it can help guide yourself through this life stage and, and help you minimize the symptoms so that you can transition smoothly and, and not be too disturbed by all the changes that are going on. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Aileen. And I think that feeling of being in control can really support um, dealing with the symptoms as well. It's when you feel out of control that then the symptoms seem more out of control. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe we could now move on and have a quick chat about each of these symptoms that you've mentioned, Aileen, maybe thinking about their potential impact on us as female runners. Um, so just thinking about it and from that angle, Aileen, what could you tell us? Yeah, well, let's start with weight gain. And as I said earlier, especially, you know, this is weight gain around the middle. So maybe you've noticed your waistline's getting a bit bigger, or you've you've noticed you, you're sort of beginning to gain a bit of fat, particularly around the middle. So you might have a higher fat to muscle ratio. And, you know, this affects us as, as women and as runners. So it can affect how we feel about ourselves, our self-esteem, and how we perform as a runner. And you know, there's a mix of, of factors that could be contributing to the, the weight gain in this phase. Um, and then the obvious one is there's a fluctuation in hormones, and that may lead to weight gain, potentially changes in appetite, cravings, uh, met- met- metabolic rate um, is another a- angle. Um, and also, if we're feeling tired, we might not be exercising in the same way. So we might not have noticed this, but, you know, maybe we're just not putting in the same amount of training and gym sessions and things like that that we did in the past. Um, and also, you know, poor sleep and stress are also, um, a, you know, some factors that can add into this weight loss um, driving pot that we're, we're trying to um, get out of. So I think that the most important thing about all of this is just to be really aware that there's changes going on and thinking about adapting our nutrition and training and lifestyle to manage body composition. Sort of acknowledging that you know we are in this um, transition and we need to support our body in the right way. And I know it can be really frustrating, but it can be managed. Um, and I think knowing about it ahead of the game, like you say, you know, for women that are moving through perimenopause to actually think, well, yeah, this is likely to happen to me. So what can I do to uh, support myself? Um, we've talked a lot about this in a couple of other episodes. So if if this is an issue, I'd really advise you to go back to episode 20, which is all about resistant weight loss for runners. And that's really about when you try, you think you're doing everything that you can and you're still not losing weight. And often these women have already been, they've been eating healthily, they've been exercising healthily, um, but suddenly they're, they're not maintaining their weight and that can be an issue for them. And then there's another shorter episode, uh, which is episode one of the Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner series. And that's um, really focusing on weight loss in midlife. So um, that's, really good resources and um, we talk from the heart there because that's something that's affected us and so we've got a bit to share about that haven't we Karen? Yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. difficulties in midlife of shifting weight that you've been mm. on for whatever reason. Yeah so so the other things that um, women talk about are disturbed sleep and as I said earlier that's often related to night sweat so 
And we know that poor sleep impacts on many areas of health and performance, uh, but particularly the energy we require to get out and do our training runs. So, you know, if, if, if you've not had your full complement of sleep and you've been uh, awake, you know, numerous times during the night, then you're not going to have the same amount of energy to do the training the next day. And, and that can be a big issue and it can disrupt our training timetables. Uh, and then I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, women talk about hot flushes. I, I would say the weight gain and the hot flushes are probably the two things that most women would, um, you know, recognize is going on. And that can happen any time of the day or night and, and can happen even during a run session. Um, and what happens there, I can remember this quite vividly, that you get these sudden changes in body temperature. So you can have this whoosh of heat and then it can be, you can be really cold within, you know, seconds. And it can be really unpleasant, shocking, embarrassing if you're in company or in a meeting or, traveling you know there's lots of uh, and you you feel as though everybody can notice they probably can't but it's how you're feeling and you know it's not something I've experienced during a run but again I think if you were during a training run or a gym session and it happened it could be a real distraction um to to what you're trying to do um so we'll talk a little bit more about that later on Karen when we review Sally's questions Mm. that was one of the things that she mentioned yeah yeah. And are there any, you know, the other things we mentioned, Karen, um, what would you talk, what would you say about them? Yeah, yeah. Well, thinking about the unexpected injuries and aches and pains in, in muscle joints, I think they that is something, and speaking from personal experience, that is something I just find that I get injured and I get aches and pains so much more easily now. And the other thing that I've noticed is that once I am injured, it takes me longer to recover. Mm. So, which is really frustrating um and 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 it, you know that can all these things can lead to that time out of training and races um and like i say that the frustrations of that but also can lead to demotivation and again i i've i've experienced that and it can be quite hard to to get your mojo back sometimes so um i can really relate to that and there is limited research into this area um but but the research that there is um the it's thought that um sort of linking it to estrogen uh the estrogen link to tendons and ligaments it's thought that estrogen could have a protective effect on connective tissue and collagen and therefore the declining estrogen levels during perimenopause may potentially be what's putting us at risk of or increased risk of injury Um, And I think also we need to seriously consider the impact of declining estrogen on bone mineral density during perimenopause and actually the the menopause, stroke postmenopausal years as well. And we do talk a lot about that in um, the bone health episodes of our podcast. So that's episode 21 and then again in episode 24. So I do think this is a really important topic um, for women of perimenopause age to 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 um to think about but really women of all ages mm. and i think another common um concern for women generally but also women runners during perimenopause is the low energy the fatigue on that poor recovery um from training so feeling that you just don't have enough energy to complete your training. And this can be attributed to to many different factors. It might not just be the hormonal factors. It could be the poor sleep that you spoke about, Aileen, potentially not fueling or eating appropriately, or maybe just a low nutrient status for whatever reason. So, you know, important to think about what else is going on in your life. What else could be driving these symptoms, not just the the perimenopause? Uh, yeah, and, and another. Are you still there? I am still here. <laughs> Oh, just uh, just in case anybody doesn't realise, Karen and I are at opposite ends of the country when we do these recordings. So sometimes the internet um, fails us and we get little blips. So do apologise, but I'm back in the room. Oh, good. <laughs> Alien, I thought I had lost you for the rest of the, the topic. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so 
Yeah, I was just sort of finishing off. I'd just spoken about the the low energy, the fatigue and the recovery ailing. Mm, yeah. So the, the the other things that um, women talk about, we, we mentioned this earlier, is this uh, sort of low mood or mood swings, irritability, uh, feelings of sadness, um, foggy brains, another common um complaints, lack of concentration. Um, and again, you know, all of this is likely to impact on your motivation to train and run. And what's going on here is that um, estrogen is involved in stimulating the neurotransmitters in the brain. So again, when estrogen starts to decline during these perimenopause, menopausal years, then the neurotransmission may slow down and that could just generally impact on cognitive functions. Um, and, and another thing just to bear in mind, because we're often, you know, we look for the, the big headlines when it comes to changes in our, our bodies. Um, but when it comes to mind and mood and cognition, just think about your hydration. Uh, are you drinking enough? Are you well hydrated? And remember that stress and anxiety and poor quality sleep will also um, affect these sort of feelings. So, um, you know, sometimes it's paying attention to some basic things that can help you. Um, so I just want to re-emphasize that, again, you know, it all sounds very heavyweight and serious, but you might not experience all of these symptoms. Uh, and another really uh, good news um, point is that running and exercise will support you in minimizing the perimenopausal symptoms. And that's backed up with quite a few studies. Um, so there was a, a study uh, published in uh, the Menopause and Journal of Physiology at, back in 2016 and, uh, and another um, similar study that found that sedentary women, so women who exercise less than three times a week, were 28% more likely to experience menopausal symptoms than active women. Um, and 21% more likely to experience hot flushes. And in another study, um, the women who exercise more frequently and intensively um, support, reported that the average frequency of the hot flushes dropped by more than 60%. So I think that's a really big tick for running an exercise um, and to know that, you know, we're doing everything we're doing is really supporting us and potentially minimizing the symptoms. So don't give up on uh, your exercise and your running because it's really going to get you through. Yeah. And I think those differences are actually quite significant, aren't they, Lynn? They are. They yeah. are. Yeah, so it's really good to know that, um, but by that we may be all experiencing less severe symptoms than if we weren't doing any exercise or we weren't running at all. So that's a tick in the box, I think, and, mm -hmm. and another reason to keep up your running. Yeah. So, so before we move on, Aline, just to summarise what we've been saying, um, we sort of suggested that perimenopause, well, we know that perimenopause is a natural phase. Um, however, it's one where female hormones are fluctuating, especially oestrogen, and that um, can lead to a wide variety of symptoms, which can be erratic and even dramatic um, at times and for certain people. I think the good news is that regular exercise of moderate intensity does appear to help minimise the symptoms. And also nutrition and lifestyle adaptations can help us manage that, this transition as well. So there's a lot of positive um, things that we can do and put in place to to support the transition through okay Aileen so um let's have a look now at, at what is driving all of these changes in a woman's body could you Aileen maybe give an overview of what's driving the changes um during this many oh gosh I can't get my tongue around the word yeah. perimenopause and also is there a recommended approach to managing perimenopause and running performance yeah, sure. So we've we've already mentioned that estrogen levels are generally declining during perimenopause, but do so in a very irregular fashion. Um, so at times during the monthly cycle, there might be too much or too little. And as we said earlier, that's maybe why our menstrual cycle can be so erratic uh, during this phase. Um, but you know, remember that estrogen is involved in lots of functions around the body and we've got estrogen receptors all over the body. Um, so when the estrogen levels 
decline. That's why we're having these far-ranging effects and results in all the different types of symptoms that we've been talking about today. Um, so that's, you know, it's a powerful, <laughs> a powerful hormone, estrogen. Um, so, so one of the, um, the major issues for women seems to be hot flushes and night sweats. And, and we talked about that again. We did a bit of a deep dive on that in um, episode five of Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner, which the question we posed there was, um, why are you getting hot flushes? So again, if, if it's a particular area of interest to you, pop back and listen to that. That would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And in that um, episode, we explained that low estrogen levels are thought to cause disturbance to the temperature regulating mechanism in the brain. So that hypothalamus area of the brain. Now, it is suggested that the zone of for keeping body temperature neutral narrows in the presence of low estrogen. And again, in literature, this zone is known as the thermoneutral zone. And it's, it appears to be the narrowing of the thermoneutral zone that increases the likelihood of the hot flushes and the sweating. And, um, and during the the menopausal phase, your your body's natural air conditioning system um, works less efficiently too. So normally your blood vessels expand as you warm up, sending blood closer to your skin for cooling. But lower estrogen appears to blunt this response, trapping more heat inside the core. And this higher core temperature, alongside different changes to your brain's thermostat, so that hypothalamus, area is likely to contribute to the hot flushes. So there's a lot going on mechanically within the body Mm. that could be triggering um, these hot flushes. But there are also um, external trigger, potential triggers as well for the hot flushes, or they may exacerbate the hot flushes. And I'm thinking here about um, coffee, uh, hot tea as well. Wine can can be a trigger and spicy foods. Um, And and also sometimes exercise, Aileen, you were speaking earlier about um, people sometimes experiencing um, hot flushes during exercise, although we personally haven't experienced it. So it can it can occur during exercise and it could be the exercise that's triggering it. So but again, it is going to be different for everyone. And um, Maybe if you if you notice what your triggers are, you could aim to remove them and just see if that helps. Mm. Yeah, and Aileen, you know, we've been speaking about the hot flushes and the night sweats quite a quite a lot. Is is there a difference between them? Um, well, I think that probably the mechanism which triggers the hot flush or the night sweat is probably the same, but the night sweats can often feel more severe. Um, and I think the night sweat is more than about just feeling hot or having the type of hot flush you might experience during the day. So it does tend to feel more severe and you might waken up drenched in sweat. And I guess during the day, we notice that sudden whoosh of heat and we can respond quickly, you know, either whipping off your cardigan or whatever your jacket you might step outside you know I can remember all of these things I used to do you know it would be like I'd be standing on the step just to get a bit of fresh air and to cool down but obviously in the middle of the night you don't notice it because you're asleep but you will awaken as a result of that sweat Um, and then what happens is when you're overheating, your body will cool down with perspiration. And it's thought that the irregularities of the body's temperature regulation system that you talked about um, might lead to too much cooling perspiration. So you oversweat and you cool down, but it's to such a degree that it wakes you. And obviously that can be really unpleasant and all that getting up and maybe changing sheets and night clothes, et cetera, can be pretty exhausting. Um, and another thing to think about as a runner, um, that these night sweats might also impact on your hydration status. Um, so that's, you know, really something to consider, especially if you're an early morning runner. So rehydrating um, after, um, you know, the night's sleep or unsleep, whatever it is, um, before you run will be pretty vital. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Aileen, about the hydration. And I think it's it's possibly one that many runners won't have thought about. 
Um, and do you think there's a recommended approach to managing perimenopause and running performance? Well, you know, there's a lot of information out there for perimenopause and menopause in general, and some of it will relate specifically to runners. You know, there's quite a few blog posts and articles written in magazines and, and you know, there are a few um, studies. But I think typically what happens is women fall into the trap of choosing pieces of advice um, rather than approaching the life stage holistically. And there's a tendency to look for a magic bullet. Um, you know, there's, there's various Facebook groups where people are suggesting things and you know everybody's looking for that one thing that's going to solve all the problems um you know they might want to take a food something out of their food plan some of the things that you mentioned earlier or they might add in a supplement or you know sometimes in the worst case scenario they resort to medication without truly investigating their own personal situation you know i've read about women being um taking antidepressants because they think they're depressed and actually it's not necessarily a depression. It could be a hormonal imbalance that is causing the symptoms. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a big um, concern that there's so much information and not really an easy way to choose what to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with what you're saying, Aileen, about everybody looking for the for the magic bullet it's a bit like weight loss isn't it people are looking for that magic bullet but there isn't a magic bullet it's about looking at it from a holistic point of view and a, a personal point of view a personalized point of view um, and and like you say there is a lot of confusion out there about what to do so so what would your advice be Aileen? Well, you know, my advice from a functional medicine, functional nutrition viewpoint was would be that I would look at all of the symptoms that you're experiencing alongside your health history, your food plan, your lifestyle, and then importantly, your running, training, and your your goals for running as well as your, your health goals. And you know, in previous episodes, we've talked a lot about how various um, aspects of health impact on hormonal balance. So we've talked about blood sugar balance, digestion, uh, liver health and stress and all of these have major influences on um, sex hormone and balance. Um, so considering how a woman's health is in all of these areas uh, is pretty vital. Um, but I think the the most important advice, and I think I alluded to this earlier, is is get the basics in place. Um, and, you know, I'm talking about the simple stuff. So everyday hydration, everyday nutrition, um, simple systems for planning and prepara preparation of your food. Um, so how much you drink every day, you know, are you getting at least a litre and a half? Are you following plate balance with your meals? Are you eating a wide range of fruit and vegetables? You know, so up to 30 different vegetables a week. Um, setting some personal boundaries around soft drinks, caffeine and alcohol. Looking at how you manage your stress. Um, being consistent in your exercise. So not overdoing it, but doing it regularly. And most importantly, having that 80-20 approach. So we always talk about being 80% on plan consistently. And I think, you know, if you have all of these foundations in place, it clears up a lot of niggly symptoms. Um, and it, it, I always talk about it clearing the muddy waters. And once those muddy waters are cleared, a lot of things can be better. And then we can really focus on the symptoms that you know, maybe take a little bit more uh, expertise um, to to resolve. Um, and that's what we do in the Healthy Runner, Healthy Woman method, isn't it, Karen? We, yeah. we, we, we do something called the lifestyle audit and we identify the non-negotiables that women need in their life um, to transition uh, perimenopause and menopause. Um, and it's all about getting that healthy balance. Um, and it just means by doing that audit, you've got everything covered. You know that there's nothing missing. You've ticked everything that you need to tick. And it, it will highlight the key areas for you as a woman, an individual woman, um, what, what we need to focus on to um, resolve the final niggly symptoms and get you in the best place for health and for running. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's some great advice there, Aileen. And I love your idea of sort of clearing the muddy waters, sort of putting certain things in place, changing certain aspects of nutrition and lifestyle style to see which symptoms clear up and then which symptoms are left, therefore are maybe truly due to hormonal change. And then sort of how do you support those? So I really, I really like that idea of, of, clearing the muddy waters but just before we move on Aileen I'll just do a quick um, roundup of, of what we've discussed here and and so so what you've been saying is that it really does appear to be the fluctuation of the hormones especially estrogen that is at the root of all these perimenopausal symptoms but that we can support our hormone balance by paying attention to certain aspects of our of our life such as the blood sugar balance also our digestion um, our liver health as well as uh, managing stress because as we know stress can be the trigger for many many symptoms and really sort of thinking about taking a holistic approach to nutrition exercise and lifestyle along some alongside some of the management strategies can really help hopefully um, us smoothly transition through that perimenopause period and beyond so um, some great, great pieces of advice there. But but just before we move on to the to the next section, Aileen, shall we just uh, stop for a short advert break? Yeah, great idea. Um, so, yeah, this is a part of the um, podcast or the episode where Karen and I take a minute to uh, talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. And um, uh, I mentioned earlier um, we have our healthy woman healthy runner method and um, we what we found is we get lots of positive feedback on our episodes but we've realized that the missing link for many of our followers is how to put it all into practice and get some direct input from us while they do it so last year um, Karen and I put together our healthy woman healthy runner method and our plan is to offer the healthy woman healthy runner as a program later on this year uh, but in the meantime we've been running some free training so that you can get started and we've created a step-by-step -step approach and it's all about taking some simple nutrition and lifestyle steps to start to really help you solve um, some of the problems that you've been having uh, around shaping up getting hormonal balance eating for energy and uh, vitally getting the running results that you desire so we've, we've pulled all of our experience of working with clients and our personal learning and research um, to create a method which we believe is straightforward and very simple to apply. So if you're getting frustrated um, or maybe you're uh, concerned about the future that the menopausal challenge may, may bring for you, um, particularly as a, a midlife runner, uh, we'd love to invite you to our free uh, live training so we host it on zoom and um you you join us for an hour and we we share um, some of the um healthy runner healthy or healthy woman healthy runner method with you so check out the show notes and you'll find the link to register on our next uh training uh we run them a few times during the year so um if it's of interest to you get registered and we'll invite you to our next session um, all you have to do is click the link give us our email address and we'll send you all the details and if you can't find the link uh, just drop us an email or message us um, via facebook and um, and we'll be happy to invite you to the next training Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. OK, so so just moving on, um, Aileen, you said at the beginning that um, about one of our listeners, Sally, emailing us to ask if we'd cover um, perimenopause in an episode. And she was sort of telling us a little bit about her personal symptoms that she was experiencing, um, especially the, the hot sweats, which... Um, started just at night but now is getting quite she's getting quite a few during the day as well and occasionally she's actually getting them whilst running so one of these people that gets that um that the hot sweats during the running um, and especially when she runs first thing in the morning interestingly and she also said that she's experiencing foggy brain and generally she's feeling very tired and not sleeping very well so Aileen think Thinking about Sally, uh, what advice would you give her? 
Well, I think the first thing to say is uh, thank you, Sally, for asking these questions, because I'm sure many women are experiencing the same issues. And, and we always, um, you know, end our episodes by saying, if you've got a topic that you want us to cover, just drop us a, an email and, and we're always looking for new ideas. So really appreciate Sally raising this. So the, the key things that Sally mentioned there, just to summarise, Karen, are night sweats, poor sleep, feeling tired hot flushes during the day, hot flushes on the early morning runs and foggy brain. And I think, you know, my my overview is this is like a typical vicious cycle, isn't it? You know, the fluctuation at hormones are probably driving the night sweats. And that means Sally's feeling tired and that's impacting on her runs, might even be impacting on what she eats and drinks, because we all know that when we've had poor sleep, we don't always make the best food choices the next day. And then that can affect the mood and cognition, you know, the foggy brain that she mentioned. So, you know, with any of these symptoms, you could probably start anywhere and get some results. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think attending to the foundations first often helps us get clear. And then we move into what we can do therapeutically with nutrition and supplements. So, so I'd suggest that we started looking at Sally's night and day in chunks of time. So maybe look at pre-bedtime, then sleep time, what happens when she gets up, what she's doing during the day with regards to food and drinks, and uh, when is a run training scheduled so that we've got a really big picture of what's going on in a sort of a 24-hour period, but also over the course of a week. Um, so, you know, this is where we can sort of rule things in and rule things out by doing this sort of a a bit of an audit on Sally's life. So I'd, I'd start with bedtime routine and sleep hygiene first, just to make sure that there's not more than the night sweats contributing to poor sleep, because there might be other things going on. So the, the kind of questions that I'd be asking and checking in with Sally as, you know, is she relaxing before bedtime? Um, is she switching off phones, iPads? Is she having nice, relaxing, non-stressful activities? Because all of those are going to put you into a really good uh, position to get a good night's sleep. Um, I'd check that she's not eating too late and that she's minimizing caffeine and alcohol during the day and the evening. So, one of the things we often suggest is if you are drinking caffeine to do it before midday um, and obviously to set some boundaries around what alcohol you're drinking during the, the evening particularly. Um, now, some women actually benefit from having a, a nutritious pre-bedtime snack, so nothing too big, but there are some bedtime snacks that can actually help promote sleep hormones. So that might be something that is, of, you know, would, would be helpful to um, Sally. And, and some people find if they've got disrupted blood sugar, that's what's waking them up during the night. So that, that's another thing to, to check in. Um, and then I think it's like looking at some of the sleep hygiene things, which all sound very obvious, but sometimes we don't do them. So, you know, is your bedroom cool and air? Do you have cool bed clothes? Have you got a fan available? Uh, what time are you actually going to bed? And then what are you doing when a night sweat awakes you? Is there anything you can do to recover and get back to sleep quickly? So, you know, I'm thinking if you if you do wear, you know, a nightgown or pajamas, if you've got a, a, a set next to the bed so you can just have a quick change, you're not rummaging around in the middle of the night because all of those kind of things can, you know, just disturb the whole whole thing. And then thinking about dehydration, uh, we talked about earlier, so having water by the bedside to sip at night. And when you first wake up, that can really help counteract dehydration. So it's all about really setting yourself up for sleep success. Um, and once all of those things are in place, if it's still happening, then as I say, you know, we can look at some more targeted interventions to help help with the sleep. Um, so Karen, I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, some suggestions that Sally could have to cope with the hot flushes during running. Yes, yes, Aileen. I think there are a few things that Sally could try. Maybe she could think about um, having a cold, icy drink of water before a run, because um, that's thought to cool down 
help people cool down from the inside. The other thing she could do thinking about the icy cold water is if it's a longer run, she could take water with her with ice cubes in it as well. And she could just sip that as she's going along her run. Um, another idea, um, some runners, not all runners, but some runners like wearing a bandana. And what, she, what you could do is um, soak it in cool water. Um, and I know you do get specially designed bandanas and ties which you can pre-soak or chill and then put them on as you're running. I have to say I've never used any of them, but I have read that they're really good. So that's something else potentially that um, Sally could consider. Um, there are also some anecdotal stories about um, using beta alanine supplements, again, prior to running, which is thought to help open up the blood vessels, which again may support um, the cooling down process. And also, I would say, remember to wear thin layers so that you can remove layers during a run if you need to cool down and then put them back on again um, if, if needed. Because like you were saying earlier, Aileen, sometimes you can have the really the overheating, but then you become chilly uh, really quite quickly. Um, and, and then thinking when you when you start having hot flushes, maybe think about keeping a diary of what is triggering them um, and when uh, they happen. And that may help shine a light on, on what you need to do around your running. Maybe there's something that you're doing before you're running that's triggering these events during your running. So something to think about as well. And just remember the typical triggers that we mentioned earlier. Um, sort of uh, thinking here specifically about coffee, because quite often people will get up in the morning, they'll have a coffee and then they'll go out for a run. They might not even have eaten, but they'll have a coffee. And that potentially could be triggering um, the hot flushes. But also thinking about the hot tea, the wine and the the spicy foods as well. Um and sometimes, um, yeah, like I was saying, it's not about what you're eating, but it's about when you're consuming them. So really thinking about avoiding them at specific times of the day or giving yourself that space of time between um, taking in the foods and drinks before you then exercise could help. And I think also just as a reminder for Sally is that, um, you know, the night sweats may lead to the dehydration overnight. So having that big glass of water that you spoke about, Aileen, by your bed and drinking that before the morning runs and, and really having good hydration throughout the day would be really important. And um, and also being well hydrated may well clear up the foggy brain that Sally's experiencing as well. So, you know, quite a few things there that she could consider. Yeah, lots of really practical tips there, Karen. And I think, you know, when we're in that um, perimenopause, menopausal situation, it, it is a combination of finding like lifestyle strategies, um, as well as getting to the root issue, you know, if we've got the lifestyle strategies, we can sometimes make it more bearable. Mm. Um, so it's all about management. Um, I mean, I remember thinking I'd never be able to wear a jumper again. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> will I ever be able to wear something with a high neck again? But you can, and it does resolve. Um, so you've just got to play the long game, really. Yeah. Um, so thank, thanks for that, Karen. So, you know, we've, we've looked at, um, you know, bedtime, we've looked at some management strategies of um, dealing with the um, hot flushes during running, which I think is really helpful. Um, so the next thing that I would suggest we looked at would be Sally's food plan. Um, so I'd be checking not only uh, what she eats, but at what times, because um, that's really going to influence her blood sugar balance and having an even blood sugar balance will help with energy levels. It will also help with foggy brain and also a good night's sleep. And I, I mentioned earlier that sometimes people awaken due to blood sugar issues during the night. Um, so and we, we're making a lot of um, references to previous episodes uh, today. But um, if, again, you want to have more uh, specifics about blood sugar balance, I'd suggest you listen to episode 11, which is Nutrition Basic for All Runners, and also episode 41, which is Blood Sugar Balance for Female Runners. And that will give you lots of tips about eating a balanced plate and how you manage your blood sugar balance. So really, really helpful. Um, and I think the other thing that I might suggest to Sally is 
checking her iron and her B12 status because if they're not optimal, uh, they could also be affecting energy levels. Um, so, you know, thinking a little bit more widely about what's going on. Um, so when we're looking at fine tuning the food plan, um, I'd be suggesting that we added in some foods which supported hormonal balance. So the cruciferous vegetables and legumes such as chickpeas, beans, um, peas, peanuts and soy products too, edanami beans, tofu, tempo, tempeh, miso. There's lots of, of different foods. And again, we, we focus on those in episode 43, uh, foods for hormonal balance. So you can see that there's like a bit of a spider's web of, of directions we can go in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if you, you know, navigate your way through some of these episodes, you're going to get quite a lot of helpful information. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully this has been really helpful um, information for Sally. Hopefully we've given us some really great insights and and also some direction on what changes you could potentially make both to her nutrition um, and her and her lifestyle. But Sally, if you do have any other questions around um, you, you, your um, personal circumstances and what we said today, then, then do let us know. So, Aileen, I think that kind of draws this episode to a close. Um, But before we go, um, could you maybe just give us your key takeaways from today's episode? Yeah, yeah, happy to. So the the first key takeaway is just to remember that perimenopause is a natural transition to menopause. It marks the end of the reproductive years and it typically happens from our mid-40s onwards. And it can take a few years depending on uh, every individual woman. So we're all different. Um, During this period, estrogen levels generally decline uh, and they tend to decline in an irregular fashion, uh, which leads to erratic symptoms and having effects on many parts of the body, which we've mentioned today. Uh, You might experience irregular periods and uh, a host of different symptoms, such as hot flashes, fatigue, irritability, mind mood symptoms, weight gain, uh, potentially sleep problems, um, changes in libido, aches and pains too. Uh, so there's a wide variety of things that could be happening to us. Um, the good news is that the studies that we've looked at indicate that women who exercise regularly at a moderate intensity appear to experience less severe hormonal symptoms than non-exercising women. So it's important that we keep up our exercise plans. Um, for the, the women who've always been fit and healthy with a good body composition, uh, sometimes they're surprised and shocked at the changes they're experiencing. Um, some of these changes might be body composition changes, which affect how we feel about ourselves and how we perform as a runner. Uh, disturbed sleep uh, often is related to night sweats and that might impact on our energy and our recovery and our hydration status. Uh, we can experience hot flushes at any time of the day or night, um, even during a run session. And Karen's giving you some good tips on uh, some strategies to help you. Um, remember that as a perimenopausal woman, you might be at risk of injury. And that's due to the impact of declining estrogen on collagen, connective tissue and bone density. Low energy and fatigue might affect your performance, recovery and motivation and your motivation to train and run may also be affected by mind and mood symptoms. So our advice is don't fall into the trap of choosing pieces of advice. Um, We'd rather that you approach this life stage holistically. Um, So don't look for the magic bullet. Look for a holistic approach, which includes personalized nutrition, optimizing liver, digestive uh, digestion, blood sugar balance and remember to manage your stress and lifestyle and ending on a positive note um, all of the symptoms that we've mentioned may be naturally supported and minimized so that you can transition happily through this life stage and um, as runners we'll really be helping ourselves so that we can enjoy our running life uh, for as long as we wish. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for that, Aileen. And I think perimenopause may be a challenging time for some people, but but hopefully just by understanding what 
what is going on and how you may be able to support yourselves gives a lot of optimism for you. And remember, do join our next free Healthy Women, Healthy Runner session um, and uh, to learn more about how you can support yourself during this time. And remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm -hmm.